Thanks for checking out the One Church podcast today. If you are new to One Church and want to learn more about us, you can always check us out at imonechurch.com. Now, here's Pastor Crystal Sparks. Well, amen. It's good to be in church today. Are y'all doing good? Man, y'all look good. We have the most beautiful church. We have the most beautiful people. That's y'all. Like, you should be like, yes. You should be in agreement right there. Like, yes, we are a beautiful church. Um, well, hey, we're so glad that you are here. Um, like uh, like Jimmy said, uh, my name is Crystal Sparks. My husband and I um, pastor here at One Church. And we're one church with two campuses. And so we're so thankful that you joined us today. I truly believe you're not here by chance or by accident. Um, you're here because we've been praying for you. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming. Um, Our one heart's desire is that today that you won't encounter a church, but that you'll encounter Jesus. And so I pray from the very minute you pulled on the parking lot uh, throughout this whole service, that it's him that you encounter. So thank you so much for coming. Well, hey, I've got a few announcements that I want to let you guys know about. There's so much going on here at One Church. I feel like this is going to be a lot. So just hang with me. I might forget something, but I'm going to do my best to remember everything I'm supposed to tell y'all. First thing I want to let you guys know about is Easter is coming. I don't know if we told y'all, but Easter's coming and we have these really cute bracelets. And the whole purpose of the bracelets is for you to be able to invite somebody to come with you. And so I'd love for you to take a handful of them. Truly, like we ordered enough for you to be able to invite your neighbors, coworkers. Um, I encourage children, take them to school, invite your friends. Like it's great. There's no limit on how many you can take. So please, oh, I hope that we give them all out today. That would be great. So we'd love for you to take those. We have three service times on that Sunday. It's 845, 1015, and 1145. And I just ask as church family, if maybe you come here for a long time and you call this your church home, can we make room for guests? And I would ask that you'd either attend the 845 or the 1145. And the 1015 will be probably our most popular service. So we want to make sure that every person who wants to come encounter Jesus is able to do so. And if you're one of those people that just are adamant that 1015 is your service, we love you and you can still come to that one too. So is that okay? Um, But then from that point forward, um, we're going to be moving into three services. And so isn't that so exciting? And so our church just continues to grow. And we want to make sure to give plenty of room for everybody who's coming into our house. Um, We've been full and in overflow uh, the last few weeks since we've moved into this building. And so we just want to make sure to give room for every person who wants to call one church their home. And so starting on Easter weekend, uh, we'll be in three worship services. And those times will be the same as Easter Sunday, 845, 10. 15 and 11:45. Also want to let you know that I know that the parking lot's a little crazy, um, but we did get the green light to move forward on our phase two of our parking lot. And so I'm so excited about that. And so as a church family, um, I've had some of you ask about like, well, how can we pray about that? Well, number one, you can just pray the rain away and uh, that would be great. And so we're believing God that that will be completely finished by Easter Sunday. I'm hoping they'll be able to get some work started this week. And so in the meantime, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your patience as we are expanding. Isn't it good that we don't have an empty parking lot? Isn't that good? I'd rather have this problem than an empty parking lot, right? All my, all my people in the production booth are like, yes, I'd rather have a full, two full of church and two full parking lot problem than an empty parking lot trying to get people to come, right? And so, and one last thing I need to tell you guys about, and that is how, where are my sisters in the house? 
Okay, so you guys have been asking, and I've been listening, and we had Sisterhood in February, and everybody loved it, and they were like, we want more Sisterhood. Well, you're in luck. I'm giving you more Sisterhood. On May 2nd, we are doing what we're going to call a Sisterhood pop-up. I'm so excited about this. And Sisterhood pop-up is this. It's designed to be a lot of fun and a way that you can invite people to come. We are going to have a DJ. We're going to have dancing. We're going to have really good food and a lot of fun. And I believe I have a word on my heart that I want to share with you. And the spots are extremely limited. And so you want to be sure and go into IamOneChurch.com slash sisterhood to reserve your ticket. I really think this will probably sell out in 24 hours. So if you don't grab your spot, you're going to be sad that you didn't. You don't want FOMO, right? Um, The cost is $25. It's going to be in Sulphur Springs, Texas um, at venue 219 there in their downtown. It's going to be so much fun. So with all of that said, everybody just take a deep breath in, deep breath out. That is everything you need to know about the church. And I think I successfully covered everything. Well, all right. Yes. All right. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Well, hey, we're going to be in part three of our series, Exponential. And it's been so good. I feel like Pastor Ryan's just been on a whole nother level. Like it has been so good. Like I have cried every single service. My faith has been challenged. I've been believing God for more. And so today we're going to be in part three. And I'm really proud of myself because I never named my messages, but I've got a title for my message. So if you're taking notes today, and I hope that you are, because we have a saying here that paper never forgets. You can title this message, Fill the Gap. We're going to be in Ephesians 3.20, which is our theme verse for this series. And it says that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask, think. Somebody say think or imagine. Today we're going to be talking about the think part. Let's go to Genesis 50 verse 20. And this is Joseph after he, he's been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. He's wrongfully accused, spent time in prison. And now here he is in the palace and he's looking at his brothers. And these are his last words. And he's saying, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present outcome that many people would be kept alive as they are this day. Isn't that so good? I love that first part. As for you, you meant it for evil but God meant it for my good. Can we pray together as we continue our time today? Uh, Jesus, we just thank you so much. God, we just declare that, God, this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, right now, I just declare that in this house that every heart is softened for the seed of the word of God, every ear is open and receptive. Father, we declare that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody who believed it said, amen. You know, in a single conversation, there could be several stories happening at the same time. Um, I'm the queen of awkward moments. Um, I do weird things all the time. I, I, I don't try to be awkward. In fact, I had somebody get really mad at me for something that happened the other day. And she confronted me about it. And she said, well, my issue with you is that you were drunk when I saw you the other day. <laughs> And I was like, I was not drunk. She goes, no, I know you were because nobody would be that dumb sober. I was like, no, this is me sober. Like, this is me totally 100% sober. I mean, in fact, last week for communion, um, I went to take the communion cup. And I don't know what I was thinking. My girls are laughing down here. My community group is laughing. They already know. I don't know what I was thinking when I said, take the cup. I just threw the cup at my face. And then I'm on the screens, right? Like, you can see me. And instead of, like, wiping it off with my hand, I took my hair and dabbed it. <laughs> 
And then as I was doing it, I was like, I think this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Is this you drunk? No, this is me sober. This is me completely sober. This is me just normal. And so, but I've realized this, that there can be several conversations happening within the confines of a single conversation. Um, Recently, Braylee was talking to me and, and her friends were all talking and they were like, yeah, I don't know what happens, but this girl, she like pops in on our group text and she'll just start saying mean things about people. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, like mama comes out at me. I'm like saying mean things like what? Well, like she'll call girls fat and that they're wearing ugly outfits. I'm like, what's this girl's name? She's like, Shelly. And I was like, Shelly? I know Shelly. I'm like, she's a great person. Why is she texting junior high girls? Like, and I'm thinking Shelly's like a middle-aged woman. She's on our dream team. Like she's a great person. I'm like, I love her. Every time I see her at church, she is so nice. She's like, mom, she does not come to her church. I'm like, Braylee, you need to get out of your clique. And you need to start talking to other people because Shelly comes to our church every Sunday. She's so nice. She's on our welcome team. And she's like, no, mom, like she's mean. She's calling these girls fat and she's judging their outfits and saying bad things about them. And I'm like, I'm about to take Shelly down. Like when we get to church, I'm like, girl, why is a middle-aged woman texting some junior high girls calling them fat? Like, and so we start talking and I realized that the Shelly I was talking about was a middle-aged woman on our serve team. The Shelly Braley was talking about goes to another school district and is in junior high. And all of a sudden I realized we were talking about two completely different people, right? And isn't it funny how I I found this, that I want to talk to you today about perspective, because the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. And here's the thing, perspective in the Crystal Sparks Dictionary is simply this, is how things look with your history and life taken into account. How things look with your history and life taken into account. That's why any one word can make different people have different reactions. Any circumstance can make you have different um, reactions to it. Why? Because our perspective is different. And I'll give you an example. If you were, if you saw a house burning down, a house was on fire, there would be three different perspectives. If it's your house, it means the destruction of all your hopes, dreams, everything you own, everything you've worked for is all going up in flames. Now, if you're the fireman driving up to the house on fire, you think, okay, this is what I've been equipped for. This is what I've been trained for. I've readied myself all my life for this moment. I know I can handle it. I've got it under control. If you're the nosy neighbor next door, it's a reason to post pictures on Instagram, get extra likes and comments. Come on, somebody. But I want you to think about this same context works in all areas of our life. Now think about a layoff at work. A layoff at work to one person means the destruction of all their hopes, dreams, and everything they worked for. To another person, they see it as this is an opportunity. I've been preparing my entire life for this moment. I know I'm well-equipped, well-trained to take on anything that life throws my way. Then there's the other person that says, I can take this and use it to post it on Facebook to get people to feel sorry for me, to pity me, and now become a victim. 
see the same situation, but three different perspectives. And I think in our lives, here's the thing, is that the enemy is wanting to get inside of our heads because he knows that if he can change the way we think about life, then we can change what we're going to receive from it. See, the Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. So some of us, the problem isn't in the asking. Maybe, maybe you've been asking big things, but the thinking is where you're getting it wrong. You are telling yourself the wrong story about your life. See, here's the thing is that we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. And I found this, that in life, whenever something bad happens in your life, the narrative that begins to come out of your life tells me exactly the story you've been telling around everything that's happening in your life. I can hear if you think that you're really a victim. I can hear if you really think you're qualified. I can hear if you really think that it's never going to work out. Everybody's always taken from you. Why? Because the story you're telling around one thing is the same story you tell around everything. And maybe the problem isn't that God doesn't want to give you more. Maybe the problem is the narrative that you've been telling all this time is changing your thinking in turn. It's changing what you receive. See, I love in Matthew 7, 8, it says, Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone. Well, and here's the thing is that I think what this scripture should really look like is this for everyone who asks, there should be a huge blank there and then they receive. Because the truth is, if we all came into church this morning and we asked God to do something really big, let's say that you ask God for money, right? You're asking for finances. And the minute you walk out into the foyer, there's a man standing holding a big bag of money. You would have no problem asking again the next week, God, for something big, right? Or how about all the single ladies, if you ask God to give you a spouse, and the minute you walked into the foyer, there's Mick Dreamy out there, and he's waiting just for you. He's everything you've been praying for. You'd have no problem, right? We couldn't build churches big enough. Why? Because it would be immediate. But here's the thing is if it happened immediately, it wouldn't require faith. But the truth is what it really looks like in our life is we ask, and then there's this huge blank. And then we receive and it's in the gap between the asking and the receiving that the enemy wants to fill. And let me just tell you that your gap is getting filled. Your gap is getting filled by something. It's either getting filled by the enemy or is getting filled by God. And here's the thing is a lot of us are allowing the enemy to fill the gap. So we've got a victim mentality. We feel like everybody's taking from us. We feel like we're never going to get ahead. Come on, somebody. These things always happen to me. And here's the thing is what you're doing is you're letting the enemy write the narrative for your life. And God wants to do something so great. In fact, he says that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. But it's in the gap that we usually lose our faith. See, it's in the gap that we begin to write the story of how it should play out. It's in the gap that we say, God, if you really love me, this is what the miracle will look like. And I'll just tell you that whenever you write the story for what God's going to do, God will not be held to manipulation. So when you write the narrative of how he's going to deliver you, I've found this, that God will usually take you a different way. Because here's the thing, either you're the Lord of your life or he's the Lord of your life. And if you're the Lord of your life, you don't get to tell God what he gets to do. You have to submit to whatever he asks you to do. Because sometimes God's going to give you something. It's going to look completely different than what you thought. And John 14, Jesus says that we ask that you would receive that your joy may be made full. Here's the thing is that God hardwired us to live on answered prayers. 
He wants us to live on answered prayers. But on the opposite end, the enemy knows that if he can discourage our faith, he can keep us from changing the world. So when we're in those waiting seasons, the enemy begins to tell us things like it's never going to work out. Now, I want you to think about Joseph. Here he is sold into slavery by his brothers. Y'all, that is a bad day. Okay. I had my brothers be mean. My brothers be mean to me, but they never sold me into slavery. Okay. So they sold him into slavery. He gets wrongfully accused. He ends up for, in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Right. Here he has this huge gap of years between the asking and the receiving. And here he is. He says, you meant it for my bad, but God meant it for my good. See, there's two perspectives that we have in life. There's either the perspective of life is happening to me or life is happening for me. I want you to think about the three things that have happened to you that were the worst things that have ever happened to you in your life. Think about three things. Now I want you to think about the three of the best things that have ever happened in your life. You are living your life either out of the top of the things bad that have happened or you're living your life out of the bottom, the things good that have happened. And usually we view the top as the things that happened to me and the bottom we think of it as things that happened for me. See, Joseph had a mindset of things are happening for me. He had the mindset of if God be for me, who can be against me? That my brothers may betray me. I may get wrongfully accused. I may get laid off from the job. The house may be burned down, but I am well equipped. I am well trained. I am well able to overcome anything that life throws my way. So I want to ask you, are you viewing it out of the top? Or are you viewing it out of the bottom? I want to be the kind of person that no matter what comes my way, I'm just, a, I'm just, a, I'm an overwhelming optimist. I think um, I look at it, not as the glass is half full or half empty. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's half full and it's fixing to run over like any minute. Why? Because I just believe that God's that good. I believe that God is that good. And I want us to get into this place where we believe that too, but it's in the gap where we begin to lose our faith. Charles Darwin, what people don't know about him is that he was actually studying to be a pastor. He was going to seminary school and he was in, he was married to his wife named Emma. They had 10 kids was before Netflix. (laughs) I'm like, goodness. That's why he went away to seminary school. He's like, I need a break from all these kids. (laughs) So they had 10 kids and his youngest was his daughter, Anna, and he loved her so much. It was his favorite. And Anna got really sick with the scarlet fever, as did two of her other siblings. And in the sickness, her two other siblings got better, but Anna didn't. Anna got progressively worse. In fact, now uh, medical people would say that she had tuberculosis. And Charles Darwin so believed in Emma that she was going to be healed by God. In fact, there's letters that Emma and Charles Darwin wrote back and forth to each other that God is going to heal our precious Anna. I know God is going to do a miracle. Well, Anna didn't get healed. And she passed away. And Charles Darwin was so hurt that he said, I truly believe that there is no God. In his grief, he set off on the journey to the island of Galapagos, the 88-day journey. And in that, that's where he got his whole theory of evolution. And it's still being taught in schools today. See, it's the gap between our asking and our receiving that things get messed up. In fact, when you study Steve Jobs' life out, his story was much of the same. He had believed God for a family member that didn't get healed. And in that, 
he turned away from God. And then when you read about uh, Ted Turner, his was the same way. You know, isn't it interesting that the person who was totally pivotal on our thoughts on science, technology, and news and media, all three, the enemy messed them up in the gap. Be careful in the times in your life when things don't work out the way you thought they would. Because I just think about all those men and how much they could have done for the kingdom, how much they could have done for God. Come on, somebody. But the enemy got in their gap. Why? Because the enemy saw the potential in their life. And he knew if he could twist it, that this answer to prayer is a sign that God isn't real and he could turn them away from their faith, then he could have them to do what he would with them. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you, be careful in the gap. So the story that you're telling yourself is defining your life. I love Tony Robbins says this, be careful about the words you use to describe what happened to you. Your words become your experience. So good. So three practical things. Number one, is this the real story or is it the story I'm telling myself? Is this the real story or is this the story that I'm telling myself? I love the story of David so much. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he's standing before Goliath with just a slingshot. And here he is, and he declares that you have defied the armies of the living God. And today I will cut your head off and I'm going to feed your entire army to the birds of the air. That's a pretty bold statement, right? And you have Goliath and he says, today I will surely kill you and feed you to the birds of the air. Isn't it interesting how they both had a story, how the end of the story was going to be? But here's the thing is that David was bold in his declaration. And I'll just tell you that he was willing to say something based on something he didn't even have. He didn't have a sword to cut his head off, but he was willing to boldly declare that today I'm going to defeat you and I'm going to cut your head off and your entire army is going to be fed to the birds of the air. Now, here's the thing is Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. See, Goliath, without knowing, because David stood in faith, Goliath was prophesying his end. What Goliath was saying, see, here's the thing. In your life, I want to tell you the indicator for what God's about to do. Listen to what the enemy's saying. Because whatever the enemy is saying, he's telling what's about to happen to him, not what's about to happen to you. Come on, somebody. That's why he's telling you that you're not loved because he knows you are loved. He's telling you that you're not chosen because he knows he's not chosen. Always look at what the enemy is saying because what he's saying is what's really happening to him. He's telling you that you're broke, busted, and disgusted because he's broke, busted, and disgusted. Come on, somebody. This is better than your amen in right now. And I love this because David held to his story even when it didn't look like it made sense. Even when he didn't have the equipment to do it, even when he didn't have the resources, he knew that he had to hold to a victory stance in his declaration. And in his declaration, God was honored. And I want to tell you, it's the story you're saying about how this bankruptcy is going to end up. It's the story you're saying about your kids serving God. It's the story you're saying. Keep saying that they're going to be little hellions. Keep saying that teenage years are the hardest. Go ahead. Keep saying it. Why? You are the biggest prophet over your life. You are never living in a moment in time where you are not prophesying. Come on, somebody. And so every time you say something, you are calling it into existence in your life. So I want to ask you, is this real? what's really happening? Or is it the story that you're telling yourself? The second thing is that you get to choose your perspective. You get the choice. You get the choice. You may not get to choose what happens to you, but you can choose that God is working for you. Uh, Here's the thing. I didn't choose my childhood. 
I didn't choose being abused. I didn't choose living in a home where my dad was a a drug addict and uh, was abusive to my brother and I. I didn't choose that. But even there, I can tell you that God was working for me. It didn't feel like it. Come on, somebody. But I can look back now and I can see that. God, why? Because you get to choose your perspective. I love the story of Job. I love the story of Job. I love it because of this. It doesn't matter how hard the enemy tries. He can't keep a God man down. That's why I love the story of Job. And here in this time of his life, he loses all of his kids. All of his livestock are gone. Everything happens. And his wife shows up and she's like, why don't you just curse God and die? Right? And then even his best friends show up to his house and they say, God could not love you with all these things happening. Isn't it interesting how everybody was trying to get him to quit? Everybody was trying to get him to change his story. But I love Job so much because he says the same God that holds the stars into orbit surely loves me and will take care of me. He didn't change his story no matter what was happening in his life. Now, here's the thing is that Job's testing season in his life was only 18 months, but he lived decades on after the testing season. And the Bible says that God gave him double. Somebody say double. He gave him double for it. So this is what it tells me, that if I don't change the story that God is good, God will prove through my life that he is good. Come on, somebody. Now, here's the thing is he could have stopped it in the place of cursing God and dying. He could have stopped it in that point and let the enemy get the final say. But because he wouldn't change the story, God got the final say. Come on. Isn't that so good? So in your life, you get to choose. I was praying in my prayer time this morning and the Lord just told me this faith is easy when you know you are loved. Faith is easy when you know you're loved. See, the only reason why we have trouble in trusting God is because at the truest root of it, we question if God really loves us. And it's in that questioning if God really loves us that we don't know if we can trust him. And that's where we begin to have a crossroads in our faith. But when you know, I love, I love that Paul wrote, if God did not spare even his own son, what would he withhold from us? What would he withhold from us? See, here's the thing is that God gave his best. And so whenever you're questioning, if God's going to come through for you financially, you're saying my financial issue is more valuable than Jesus. When you're questioning if God's going to come through in your marriage, you're saying, my marriage is more valuable than Jesus. If he would not withhold his own son, then what would he not give to us? I want to tell you, dear friend, I don't know what you came in believing God for today, but I know this, that God is madly in love with you, that he's not given up on you, that you can fully trust him. And I just refuse to have more faith in Amazon come on, then I have in God. Because here's the thing is that when I order something on Amazon, it doesn't matter how long it takes to get there. Even if it doesn't come prime, even if they send me a notification that your shipment's been delayed, I trust that they've been faithful so many times to give me what I ordered that I'm not going to worry about it. Here's the thing is some of you put more faith in Amazon, more faith in Walmart grocery pickup than you do in the God who created the heavens and the earth. Come on, somebody. Isn't he worth everything? But here we are sweating and I'm just in this place where I'm like, God, I know that you love me. I'm not going to worry about it. I know that you love me. So I'm not going to worry about the parking lot. I know that you love me. So I'm not going to worry about my kids. Why? Because any area that you're worried is an area that you question God's love for you. So who told you that he doesn't love you enough to provide for you? Maybe it's the story you've been telling about the financial condition you watched as a child. 
And because of that, that's the narrative you say instead of all of your needs should be met according to God's riches and glory. I love in Isaiah 61 verse 7, it says, instead of your former shame, you will have a twofold. Somebody say twofold. Twofold recompense. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to pay you back double for your trouble. Therefore, they shall possess double in the land. Jeremiah 31, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And then he goes in to tell them everything he does. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that they knew that they were loved so they could trust him for the next few verses. I love this. In Joel 2, it says that I will repay you for the years that the locusts ate. And what that means, I will repay you for the years that the locusts ate. Locusts will come in and totally destroy their crops, will come in and totally take away where they had nothing left. In other words, God says, even when you have nothing left, I can still restore it. Even when it looks like there's no way out, I'm the God who makes a way in the wilderness. Even when it looks like there's no way this situation's going to turn around, I'm the God that still can move mountains. And what is God saying? Don't change the story over your life. Let God have the final say. Let God fill the gap on whatever it is that you're believing for. Come on, church. He is honored in your declaration. He is honored when you ask him big. Now think about my children. I have never had Braylee Kay come up and ask me something and say, mama, can you just, can you take me? I love her so much. She, um, Brian told her the other day, he's like, baby, what do you want for your 16th birthday? She said, daddy, I want you to take me to Hawaii. And she, Brian goes, Hawaii? He goes, don't you want a car? She goes, it's okay. I'll have both. And Brian goes, really? You think you'll have both? She's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know I'll have both. Brian was not disgusted by that. He was honored by that. Why? Because she looked to her dad as big and he was honored in her ask. He was honored in the way she thought about him. Now here's the thing. God is insulted when you live small because it means that you think of him as small. He is honored when you ask big. He's honored when the story of your life stays strong. He's honored when you're going through a difficult situation. You go, God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're the God of the turnaround. I know that you said that you'll pay me double for my trouble. I know that you said you'll give me a twofold recompense. God is honored in those times. He's not honored in your worry. Worry is prayers to the enemy to work his plan in your life. He is honored when you ask big. So let's start asking big church. I'll say this. I would rather get 50% of a hundred than zero of a hundred. People tell me all the time, well, Crystal, what if you ask big and it doesn't work out? Well, what if you ask big and it does? Why not? Why not believe big? Why not my daughter asked for a car in Hawaii? I'm like, yes, Jesus. It challenged me as a mother. Because I'll say this, that if Brian was honored in that, I thought, what is the last thing I asked God for so big that he leaned over in heaven and said, well, did you look at my girl, Crystal? Look at her. She's not just praying for a thousand women to come to sisterhood. She's saying, let's pack out arenas. Look at my girl, Crystal. Come on. Look at the, look at one church. Pastor Brian's not talking about doing eight campuses. Now he's talking about 16. I'm so honored in that. Why? 18. Oh, 18. He just corrected me. Oh God. It goes up by the moment. Um, Lord, I hope you're honored by this. But what I'm saying is this, is that God's honored in your ask, but you get to choose the perspective. Life is either as good or as bad as you make it. Life is either as good as, or as bad as you make it. Um, I love this so much. So I'll give you just a practical example because this is just, I've just settled in. I'm a teacher. This is who I am. So I'm just going to give you a practical example. So you have the event, you have your belief, and you have the challenge. 
So let's take the event of, and I can tell what your storyline is for your life. Let's say the event of you get stuck in traffic. Now, somebody with a negative story in their life, this is what they begin to say. Because a negative outlook on life is always global and it's permanent. An optimistic point of view, a God point of view on our gap is always this is temporary and it's local. So somebody who gets stuck in traffic with a pessimistic view of life, that life happens to me instead of life is happening for me. They go, this always happens to me. We're never going to get there. Always this is this way. I, I never have this workout. And it just figures, you know, no matter how early I leave, this is always going to happen. Bad luck follows me everywhere. Every time I try to do something right, this is what happens. I told you we should have left sooner. Okay, so that's your belief. You're telling your beliefs. And I'll say the way that you do anything is the way you do everything. The way you're talking about traffic is the way you're talking about finances. Or your calling. Or your children. Come on, somebody. But then I want you to challenge the belief. Okay, so you think this always happens. When else does this happen? Would leaving any earlier change anything? And then I always ask myself this. Is there anything that God's asking me to do right now that I haven't done? Okay, can I make traffic part? No. Can I make traffic disappear? No. So the optimistic view of life says, oh man, this really stinks that there's traffic today. Okay, I'm going to use this opportunity as a time to catch up on some email, <laughs> right? I'm going to use this time as a time to maybe make a phone call I haven't made in a while. Holy Spirit, maybe I'm just going to put on some worship in my car and spend some time worshiping and praising God because I didn't get my devotion time this morning, so God built it into my day, right? And so here's the thing is that when we can take on that kind of point of view. So I just want to tell you that whenever you start hearing always, never, all of that, it's a victim mentality. And that story is what you're telling yourself about everything. Are y'all getting something out of this? The third and final thing. Thank you, all three of you. You're awesome. My three biggest fans. I'll pay you after service for that hand clap. <laughs> the third thing is to keep the vision in front of you. To keep the vision in front of you. So how do we change the story of our life? If we want God to do more than we could ask, think, or even imagine, we have to keep the vision in front of us. You know, I was reading an article recently about all the people that are having vision problems because of all the time we spend on screens, um, whether it's our iPhones or computers or whatever it is. Which, by the way, do you all get the little notification on your iPhone telling you, whoa, things just got serious, <laughs> um, about how much time you've spent on your phone this week? Anybody else feel depressed? I'm like, I hate that notification. I'm like, I've wasted so much of my life and I always vow next week I'm gonna do better and then next week it's just as bad. All the Android people are like, what? We don't use our phones. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but they said that all the people with vision problems, so there's a lot of people going in thinking they need glasses. And I read this article and they said, most vision problems due to screens can be corrected by this. Three times a day for 10 minutes, go outside and look on the horizon as far as your eye can see and just look out at nature for 10 minutes as far as your eye can see and then come back in and go back to work. And I thought about that's exactly what God wants us to do. Sometimes we need to, sometimes we need to reset our vision 
and quit looking at what is currently happening, what's going on in our circumstance, what's going on in our life. And we need to cast our eyes back at God. What did you say you were going to do for me? God, what did you say about my children? God, what does your word say about my life? And as we begin to cast our vision, what happens? Everything in our circumstance begins to change the way it looks. One of my favorite stories was about Dodie Osteen. And and she was given a diagnosis of metastatic cancer of the liver. She was sent home to die. And I love this so much because she got home and she believed that God was going to heal her. She said, I literally got my Bible and I put it down on the ground and I stood on it and said, God, your word is what I'm standing on right now. It's the foundation for my faith, not the doctor's report, but your word. So she got pictures of herself developed and put it in frames all over the house. Pictures of her healthy, strong, riding horses, doing all the things that she loved. Why? Because she wanted to make sure to keep the vision in front of her of what she was doing. And she asked herself, if I want to be healed, how does a healthy person act? And she was like, a healthy person would get out of bed and make breakfast for their kids. So that's what she would do. She said, it would take all the strength I had to stand in the kitchen and make breakfast. She said, but day after day, as I began to surround myself with vision, began to confess God's word out loud. And she said, and do what I knew a healthy person was, my body began to change. Strength began to come back into my body. And now it's been over 30 years and she's still healed. Come on, somebody. She's completely healed, healthy and whole. Now I'll say this. What if she would have kept the vision in front of her that I'm not going to make it? That the doctor said there's no way out. What if she would have just kept seeing the diagnosis? I don't believe that she would be here today. See, some of us need to begin to shift our vision and remind ourselves what God said. I love in Psalm 119 verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That word settled is a Hebrew word. And it's used when an army takes a plot of land and then appoint soldiers to guard that territory. So I want to say this, that your healing's already settled in heaven. God's just looking for you to guard it from the enemy. Your financial increase is already settled in heaven. God's already defeated the land. He's just looking for you to defend it. And how do you defend it? You defend it with the words that you're saying, the things that you're thinking. Come on, somebody. And as we begin to do that, God begins to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. Did you feel a little challenged today? Are we going to start thinking big thoughts, changing the story of our life? Uh, Jesus, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, right now, I just ask that you convict, Lord, where we've been saying words that aren't yours, where we've been thinking things and telling negative stories around what's happened in our life. And Lord, right now, we take the pen away from the enemy and say, he's not going to take another day authoring out our days. And Lord, we hand the pen to you and say, you are the author and you are the finisher. That God, right now in the gap between our asking and our receiving, Lord, we declare that we trust you even when we can't trace you. Father, we declare in this house that faith is easy when we know that we are loved. And so, Father, because we know that you love us, we know you will hold no good thing from us. Right now, here in this atmosphere of faith, I just want you to tell God what you want what you want. God, I thank you that your word says when we ask, we receive. So Lord, we trust you. We trust you. Father, everywhere where the enemy is stolen, I declare he has to pay back double in Jesus' name. Everywhere where the enemies tried to get in on the gap, 
Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you're turning around. Father, I declare that you're restoring the things that were completely destroyed. Father, the same God that worked miracles all throughout the Bible is alive and well today. And so, Father, we declare that we are loved by you. You're working on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Everybody believed it said, amen. If you're here in the sound of my voice and you said, Crystal, I've never given my heart, given my life to Jesus, but today I wanna give my life to him. Friend, let me tell you that God is crazy about you. He's crazy in love with you. People may have given up on you. People may have walked out on you, but God has never given up or walked out on you for a moment. You know, the biggest life change that happened to me, I was driving down the road one night and after I had been drugged at a club and um, it was a Sunday morning and I was rolling into Silver Springs, Texas. And all my life, all I knew was a God that disappointed. And I looked out the window and I said, God, if you're really real, I just ask that you help me. And that next Monday, I walked into a lumber yard and I met the cutest guy in Wranglers and Boots I'd ever seen. I said, the Lord has answered my prayers. (laughs) No, it was Brian Sparks. And I always tell people he led me to Christ before he pursued me as his wife. And it was there in that church that I met Jesus. It was one little small step of God, will you help me? And God brought me to a church. And I wanna tell you today that God wants a relationship with you. My entire life changed in that moment. I want to tell you that the same God that did it for me back then will do it for you today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're hearing the sound of my voice and you say, Crystal, I've never given Jesus my life. Maybe you're like me and you've given him your heart at one point, but you made some mistakes and you've fallen away. But today you want a relationship with him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you right where you are. Can you lift your hand on the count of three so that way I can pray for you? If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you want to rededicate your heart to him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, will you lift your hand? One, two, and three. Lift your hand. I see hands everywhere. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Take my sins. And by your grace, I take your righteousness. I make you the Lord of my life hold nothing back in Jesus name and everybody who believed it said amen come on can we give it up for the every person at one church we aim to help you encounter Jesus if this ministry has blessed you in any way and you would like to contribute financially you can go online to imonechurch.com slash give If you chose to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior or rededicate your life to Him today, then you can text DECIDED to 33733 so we can celebrate with you. Thanks for listening and have a great week.